Uh, it's great to be here with you tonight and a special welcome if you are new with us or joining us via the live stream. Um, for those of you who have been here over the last few weeks, hopefully you are finding that while Zachariah is tricky, the book has a lot to say that makes sense not only to people a long way away and a long time ago, but to people living here in Wollongong in 2022. Tonight we're going to be thinking about another part of the vision uh, or the vision that's given that Zechariah was given by God that focuses in on Joshua. Not the warrior Joshua who famously took over from Moses and led God's people into the promised land the first time. This Joshua was the high priest after the people had returned to the promised land after exile for 70 years in Babylon. We need to keep in mind that the high priest represented God to the people and the people to God. So while Joshua is one man, at the same time he represents the whole nation and in a sense all people. As always, we need God's enabling if we are to understand and respond rightly. So I'll invite you to pray with me now. Let's do that. Lord God, we thank you so much for the book of Zechariah and for the opportunity that you've given us to spend time thinking about it. We thank you for the things that we have already seen and we pray tonight as we spend this time uh, just thinking about chapter 3 that you give us insights into what it means and by your spirit enable us to respond rightly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some people believe that dressing up is really, really important. Apparently, some people even like to do it. But dressing up has never been my thing. You might find that hard to believe. Shorts and a T-shirt are my preferred clothing option for absolutely every situation. And yet, even I have to accept that there are certain times when you do have to dress up. For school photos, you are expected to wear your best uniform. For the school formal, you hire a suit or buy that elegant dress. Graduation, your wedding day, work, a baby dedication, a funeral. The type of event determine the type of clothes that we're expected to wear. But on occasions, we do get it wrong. There was a time a little while ago, Christy was heading off to her year 12 formal. She was dressed up in a stunning red dress. I came straight from work where I worked at a bike shop. I had my yellow Kirawee Cycles shirt on, absolutely covered in grease, a pair of black shorts, pair of thongs. We had our photo together as she headed off to her formal. I don't think I wore the right thing. Thankfully, she married me despite my fashion faux pas, of which this was just one of many in a never-ending series, actually. When we moved to Thailand a few years later, the cultural expectations about clothing there were even stronger than they are here. As a teacher of Christianity, as the Thais called us, Thai society demanded that I wear long pants and a collared shirt, even a tie and jacket at times, even when the temperature was 30 or 40. If your role was important or you were meeting somebody important, then your clothes had to be consistent with. They had to physically represent how important this thing you were involved in actually was. Thai culture insists that what we wear on the outside represents what we are on the inside. And likewise in Zachariah's time, the clothes that you wore on the outside communicated a message about what you were like on the inside. We know from the book of Exodus 
that the priests were given special clothes that they wore when they were working in the temple. They had a type of uniform that indicated to everybody who saw them that they were special. They'd been set apart to work for and meet directly with God himself. But in chapter 3, Joshua's clothes are filthy, symbolising that his life also is a mess. Which leads to the question that we're going to think about tonight. What is the solution for the mess in our lives? We're going to look at that question under four headings, just working our way through the passage. The clothes that we've earned, the gift of new clothes, the purpose of new clothes, and the promised clothes giver. So what is the solution for the mess in our lives? In verse 1, Zechariah sees the high priest Joshua in a courtroom, which even now is one of those places where we are expected to wear good clothes. The angel of the Lord is the judge and Satan is the prosecuting attorney. Joshua is not there as a witness. He is being examined to determine if he's guilty of a crime. And the first voice we hear at the trial is God himself. Sounds a little strange as God talks about himself using the third person saying, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Now, some people think that's so weird. They suggest that the angel of the Lord actually speaks these words. Either way, the message to Satan is, may God himself reveal to you, Satan, just how wrong you are about Joshua. The end of verse 2 repeats it for emphasis. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. The prosecuting attorney has been found in contempt of court without even uttering a word. Now we could explore further the great encouragement to us that God won't even let the accuser make a verbal accusation. But I think the text is focused on God's self-description as the one who chose Jerusalem which, if you've been following, raises the obvious question, if God chose Jerusalem, then why did he send armies there to destroy Jerusalem? The answer requires us to recognise that just as Joshua is a real person and yet at the same time represents all people, so Jerusalem is a real city and yet it serves as a symbol of God's people. And so God did choose Jerusalem But when Jerusalem, that is, when God's people disobeyed him, he punished them. Jerusalem's destruction was the deserved consequence for Israel's disobedience. That punishment continued on as exile for 70 years in Babylon, which followed on from the destruction. But even the exile was not the end of the story. Exile, or being taken as prisoners of war to Babylon, is spoken of in places like Isaiah 48, 9 to 11, and Psalm chapter 66, verse 10, as a time of refining, like silver being put into a fire in order for it to be purified. The problem, which was observable in Zechariah's time, was that the exile had not made Israel any purer. And it is at that moment that God steps in. The final line of verse 2 dramatically visualises Joshua as a burning stick snatched from the fire. Now, I'm pretty sure that it's not just mine. All kids love playing with fire. And the range of fire pits at Bunnings shows that we don't lose our love of fire as we grow older. Anyone who has ever sat beside a fire recognises a burning stick. 
which is like the one I prepared earlier. <laughs> Kids love to do what? Pull the stick out of the fire and wave it around, making letters, sticking it at their brother or sister until the fire goes out. And then what do you do? Back in the fire until it catches a light again. And you keep repeating the process until it's too short that mum says, throw it in the fire, leave it alone. But God is not playing with Joshua. God is rescuing him which is intentionally ironic. The high priest named Joshua means rescuer. And yet the rescuer is the one who needs rescuing. If Joshua remained in the fire of purging, if he remained in the exile, there would have been nothing left. He would have been completely burnt up. Rather than exile transforming Israel from impure silver into a shiny precious metal, They're a half-burnt, smouldering stick. Saved, yes, but rather than clean, exposed as dirtier than ever. The evidence is on display, worn by the accused into court. He is caught red-handed, or perhaps better, filthy-bodied. The word that's translated here in verse 3 as filthy is used elsewhere in the Old Testament to describe excrement and vomit. Joshua is not just a little untidy or wearing the wrong fashion for this particular event. He is disgusting. He's revolting. He's repulsive, something that we would all naturally refuse to go near or touch for fear that we'd somehow be contaminated by what he was wearing. And the worst part of it all is that his filthy clothing makes Joshua unfit to do the job that he had the special privilege of. When I was training as a physio in the hospital, I got to work in ICU. And before we saw a patient there, we had to gown up and put gloves and a mask on. If I turned up at ICU without the right clothing, the staff would have politely reminded me to go and put on my gown. Obviously, you've forgotten. You're just a student. But if I tried to ignore them and started heading towards a patient, having taken off my shirt and cleaned up the vomit off the floor, put it back on, and I'm heading towards this person who's lying sick in their bed. I would have been quickly turned around and probably kicked out of the hospital. Even wearing clean clothes, protective clothing was required to to put on over the top of it so that I didn't unwittingly pass on germs or have germs passed on to me. And while the high priest's clothing was symbolic rather than for the purpose of preventing germ transfer, Joshua's uncleanness means that he is unfit. He wasn't suitable to be in God's presence. Not because God has a strict dress code, but because of what Joshua's filthy clothing indicated about his heart, about what he and all of us are on the inside. God is holy or perfect, and our imperfection, which the Bible calls sin, is like black ash that would mess up the perfect white paper here that I'm trying to still read. Even such a severe punishment as exile couldn't fix Israel's underlying sin problem. They were unable by themselves to be in relationship with God. And so in a very real sense, 
though Satan, the accuser, hasn't had the chance to say it out loud, his unspoken accusation is true. Joshua, as the cleanest, purest example of an Israelite, is like someone wearing a tattered, vomit-stained rag. Surely Joshua must be found guilty, filthy. Which I think should make all of us ask, if the best of the best is unacceptable, and what about the rest of us? If the purest person alive looks like that, actually is like that on the inside, then imagine the shame if we could be seen as we really are. The vision that Zachariah is given by God pulls no punches when describing humanity's condition. We are not weak, simply needing to try a bit harder. We are not confused, in need of some clarity. We don't need a little TLC or airbrushing. We are rebels that have brought the consequence of death onto ourselves by not living as God created us to. So why then does God rebuke Satan? If the charge of being filthy is true, then why does God rebuke Satan rather than rebuking Joshua? Well, again, because the story isn't finished yet. In verse 4, the angel gives the orders for what needs to be done. And the explanation of the symbolism, if we weren't already 100% convinced, is given. See, I have taken away your sin. Filthy clothing in this vision is symbolic of a much deeper uncleanness, an impurity that can't be removed by washing or sacrifice or doing good. Sin can only be removed by a gift from God. Notice that Joshua doesn't wash and there isn't anywhere for him to offer sacrifice with the temple at this stage still in ruins. All he does is receive new clothes. Now, Zechariah, who's receiving this vision, you'd think, okay, he's just watching on. Well, he's so excited by what he sees and hears that he chimes in. Well, and put a turban on his head as well which was part of the original clothing that was given to the original high priest, Aaron, back in Exodus 28. And so Joshua is redressed, now in clean garments, clothes fit for a high priest, fit to be able to meet with God. God gives Joshua what he needs, which I think shows that this has always been God's way. A lot of people read the Old Testament as if God is just an angry parent, He tells his children what to do, and naturally they disobey. He punishes them, but as soon as the punishment's over, they're back to their old ways. When that doesn't work, he threatens the big punishment, exile. I'm going to send you away. And when he finally carries out his threatened punishment, even that doesn't fix them. But if that's how you understand the Old Testament, you're wrongly assuming that God intended punishments to fix them. It incorrectly concludes that that discipline was designed to make people able to be good enough in their own efforts. What these verses actually make clear is that God knew before he sent them into exile that a 70-year time out in Babylon was never going to transform disobedient hearts into the obedient hearts that they needed to be. Exile was intended to show that no punishment inflicted upon sinners could transform them back into what they were designed to be. It is God alone who can take away the clothes that we deserve 
and give us the clothes we need. Here in Zechariah, as we come to the end of the Old Testament, we see that God always saves by grace. We don't deserve it. We don't contribute to it. He gives us what we need to come back to him. But again, we might mistakenly think, oh, well, that's the end of the story, isn't it? Forgiven to be forever with God. Now we get to sit back in our shorts and T-shirts and enjoy eternity forever. But Joshua hasn't been given casual clothing to kick back and relax in. He has been dressed for work. He's given a charge, verse 6, possibly better, an assurance, an explanation of how he is to serve, which is our point three, the purpose of his new clothes. Have a look again at chapter 3, verse 7. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts and I will give you a place among these standing here. Now, at the time that Zechariah saw this part of the vision, the temple hadn't been rebuilt yet. And yet the promise is clear, these words of these courts governing his house is a, is a promise that Joshua would again teach God's people. He would sacrifice on their behalf. He would take the blood on the Day of Atonement into the Holy of Holies. He would again guide God's people to live God's way. Joshua is reminded here of his responsibility now that he has been provided with the capability of actually fulfilling it. He's been saved to serve not rescued to relax. And notice that accompanying the instruction is a promise. Have a look again at verse 7. If you will walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among these standing here. Seems most likely that a place among these standing here refers to having a place of honour in heaven. Adam and Eve were created as the pinnacle of creation to be in relationship with God, to walk with him, to talk with him in the Garden of Eden, a picture of heaven on earth. And as Joshua fulfills the role that he has been cleaned to perform, God restores him to that place of privilege that he was created for. But again, we could misunderstand this to mean that Joshua has had his slate cleaned and now he's just got to keep it clean himself. Verse 7, if you will walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements. Does the if mean that he's forgiven and now he has to avoid any further sin in his own strength? Recommissioned. He has to work harder than the, the previous high priest had before him. Well, no doubt we should attempt to respond in thanks for the new clothes that we've been given by trying to keep them clean. But I think that the final three verses show that this vision is symbolic of things that in Zechariah's time were still in the future. Though Joshua has been given new clothes in the vision and must perform the role that he's been cleansed for, the person who actually provides the clothes, who makes the vision into a reality, is still to come. Our point four, the clothing giver. So have a look at verse eight and the start of verse nine. Listen, high priest Joshua, you and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come. I am going to bring my servant, the branch. See the stone I have set in front of Joshua? 
Three titles are used in quick succession in these verses to refer to a person who is coming as a rescuer, my servant, the branch, and the stone. Zachariah is using titles that his original audience would have been familiar with from the book of Isaiah to describe someone who is coming to Israel's aid. But Zechariah combines, he squashes together these three titles to show that they're speaking about the one person. My servant, a title used of Moses, refers to a new Moses who would lead God's people out of slavery. The branch or shoot is a descendant of David, a new king emerging from the stump of the fallen tree, which symbolised David's family line. The stone is a harder symbol to be sure of its meaning. It's not explained here whether the stone is placed in the temple building, whether it's part of the building itself, part of its foundations or its walls, or if it refers to a gemstone that added to the other gemstones that were on the clothing of the high priest. What we are told is that the stone is inscribed by God and has seven eyes or facets, like the facets of a diamond. These three images or titles are not explained by the angel, which means that we are wise to hold off on a rigid interpretation at this point in the book. They are images that are going to get picked up in the later chapters. What is certain in chapter 3 is God's promise, verse 9, that I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. God himself will provide the pure, holy clothes that not only, the holy, not only the high priest needs, but every single one of us needs. And he's going to do this through his servant, the branch, the stone. I think that the overall message of chapter 3 is pretty clear, that on our own we are filthy and therefore we are unfit to be in God's presence. And yet God offers to take away our filth and give us his righteousness. Jesus himself picks up on this metaphor in the well-known parable of the prodigal son. The son, when he returns to the father, is immediately dressed in fine clothing, an image of the restoration of relationship and, and special privileges. Paul in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, uses the same imagery to describe receiving Jesus' righteousness in place of our own unrighteousness. And as we use these images of clothing, it is essential that we realise that the Bible authors understand this talk of clothing is a metaphor. They have already taken to heart Joel's warning to rend your heart, not your garments. Jesus himself calls out superficial religion that, that looks good on the outside but doesn't do the inward work of transformation. This is not about getting dressed up and going to church and doing good things or things that look good to others. It is about receiving a righteousness that we are all incapable of earning. If you are already here tonight as a Christian, then I think the message of Zechariah 3 is to be grateful for the incredible gift that we have been given by God. On our own, we deserve nothing but punishment. And instead, we're promised eternity with God himself. We have a terrible enemy who points out the filth that remains in our lives. And God says, yeah, but watch this. And he gives us clean clothes. 
Zachariah's vision shows that though all mankind has messed up, God still intends to use us for the original purpose that he created us. In Jesus, he has provided all that is needed to be brought back to him. As the title of our series suggests, we have a vision of hope. And in response, Christians are encouraged to be doing verse 10, to invite your neighbour to sit under your vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. It doesn't say sit under your vine at fig tree. We have an incredible message of hope, not just for us, but to pass on to those around us. God has chosen us to be a part of his plan of making that good news known to everyone. So receive your privilege with gladness and get on with it. But if you're here tonight and you're not yet a Christian, I think it's very easy to think that all of this talk of visions and angels and Satan and heaven surely means that it's just a fairy tale. We're in the the realm of myth, which is designed to somehow make us into better people which could possibly make sense, it would be a valid accusation, if the message wasn't that we can never be good enough. We can never do enough to please God. Our hope is not in our own good, but in God's provision, his gift of clean clothes for us. But I do accept that this imagery of clothing, while incredibly helpful explaining the, the, the exchange that's taken place for us, can also lead some people to doubt its significance. Jesus uses the imagery of clothing on another occasion when describing a wedding feast in Matthew chapter 22, 11 to 13. Everyone is invited, but some people just ignore the dress code. Those who are not dressed appropriately get kicked out of the banquet. The warning from Jesus himself is don't reject my gift. Don't assume that you don't need it and that you'll be okay on your own. Without his provision, entry into his eternal paradise is impossible. But in our society, Jesus' demand is mocked, considered to be far too narrow-minded. The metaphor is considered old-fashioned moralising or an arrogant exclusivity. We acknowledge the proverbial wisdom that clothes make the man, but We think that that's outranked by the, the, we're not meant to judge a book by its cover. And so whether I wear a suit or jeans is not a big deal to anybody. In fact, my right to dress however I want to is my, it's just, you cannot, you cannot go against it. Even as a minister, I'm standing out here not wearing robes or a collar. Verses like James chapter 2, verses 2 to 4 insist that there is wisdom in the recognition of the value, the equality of all, for not judging someone based on their clothes or their social status or which football team they cheer for. But we've already acknowledged that there are times when clothing is not our free choice. It is appropriate, in fact, it's absolutely necessary for me to be barred entry to the ICU because of my vomit-stained clothes. But I couldn't turn up there in my own brand-new clothes or dry-clean clothes either, insisting, well, they're good enough, aren't they? The response from the ICU staff would be identical. And I think that that's a symbol of the mistake that our society makes. 
the underlying character that clothing symbolises in this vision is held to be an equally private decision. Who is God to tell me what I should and shouldn't do? I just want to look after my family and help them get ahead. So long as I don't hurt anyone, then I can do whatever I want, surely. But we need to understand that behaviour is not a range of equally good options that we are free to choose which one we would like to do. While looking after our family and, and not hurting others is a good way to evaluate whether we should do something or not, they are not the only or even the ultimate criteria. God's holiness might seem like an outdated hangover from the past, but it doesn't remove the fact that it is still true and it remains the standard by which we are designed to live. Exile proved very, very clearly that Israel could never be good enough. They could never pay a punishment adequate to make them what they needed to be. They needed to receive a gift, the clothes that God provides. If you haven't yet accepted God's solution, then don't leave here tonight without talking to someone about how you do that. Let's pray. Lord God, Zechariah is not a super clear book uh, and the images and the things that are spoken about can make us confused. And yet there's a really, really clear picture here that even the best of the best are not good enough to be in your presence. And yet you have provided a way. You've given us the free gift of righteousness. And we know that that's been made possible by Jesus dying and rising in our place. Lord, for those here tonight who already know you, love you and follow you, I pray that you would remind us of the incredible gift that we've received. Enable us to be thankful. Help us to respond by inviting others to receive this great gift. And Lord, if there are any here or who are watching online, I pray that you'd be at work in their hearts, enabling them to understand the significance of what has been offered here, that they would reach out and take that gift of righteousness in Jesus. Pray these things in his name. Amen.